you are listening to another episode of H-Hour. You can get H-Hour merchandise at shop.charliecharlie1.com and you can become a patron of H-Hour at patreon.com forward slash hkpodcasts. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. Yes, we are on. That's Ryan. Absolute pleasure. You are privileged, by the way. Well, welcome to the studio. You're privileged, by the way. You are the only person I've allowed to fiddle with the mic without me chastising you. (laughs) And it's because... Of your prof- well, your professional yeah, my history with mics, history with mics, mate, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, people come in and they start fucking manhandling them. It's like no, I had a leave gig it alone. And uh, the the guy that whose mic it was came up to me after and she's like, "Mate, you've ruined the the mic." I'm, like, I'm so sorry. He's like, "No, I loved it. It was really cool." Because I sort of I lost my I lost where I was a little bit in the emotion of the song while you were singing. Well, I'm what was singing. the song? It was um, Don't Leave Me Alone. You know, a bit when it sort of starts quite slow. Yeah. And it builds up and it's got a bit where it goes nuts. And um, yeah, there were tears involved. And it was like there was stomping <laughs> of the mic. And, it, and yeah, by the end of it, the mic was, wasn't was in a good place. I don't know if the next band had to had to just hold the mic. I'm not too sure. You smashed it <laughs> I really, really ruined it. But it was like, no, yeah. it's fine. It's good to have you here, mate. We, uh, yeah. So, Kate introduced yes. me to you yeah and i saw you i first i saw you was a gig in the punch bowl in Warwick. bring yeah. back the punch bowl and that's a different story with the punch bowl and then uh mate it was quality just quality now you know you are a re- you are a regular in my playlist on spotify regular and mm-hmm. um we've been trying to line this up for ages yes but our lives are hectic i am shockingly bad at scheduling people in oh laziness walks in my family so oh does it i wouldn't say you're lazy <laughs> I'm, I'm quite lazy <laughs> <laughs> how okay. did you uh how did you get into it how did you get like what should well when did you write your first song so i probably wrote my first song when um so when i was at school it wasn't very cool to like guitar music really it wasn't the thing there were, it, we had a section of kids but they weren't the cool kids they were like into Slayer and stuff like that. So I kind of hung about with everybody because I felt that the people I, I was comfortable with, I no longer was comfortable with them. You know what I mean? It was like people listening to drum and bass, quite rough people. And uh, yeah, it was... It where, did was you, where did you grow up? Difficult to grow up around here. Where did you grow up? Around here, in Leamington, Leamington. South Leamington. So I went to Trinity. Trinity, there was no rules. You know, when you went to Trinity, they were like, if you want to learn, you can learn. If you don't, go to the back of the class, chill out, do what you want. Which is a really stupid thing to say to any kid. But a kid who's got dyslexic, he's dyslexic. And that was never, I was never, picked, it was never brought up that I was dyslexic. That happened after I left school, went to college. They picked up on that. So I went for a whole of my school. They just thought I was thick. And I probably was to a certain degree. But also I had that, that learning difficulty that I needed to learn in a slightly different way. So going to Trinity for me was a really bad idea. Well, it wasn't really my idea, but my brother had gone there. You know, I think my, my parents had gone there before me or my dad had. Um, so it was just a natural progression to go there. A lot of my friends were going there as well. So I'd have been very upset not to have gone there, but there was no uniform. You you uh, called the teachers by the first names. I mean, we were... It's a secondary school. We were, yeah, we were doing a lot of bad things at secondary school. Which, you know, you wouldn't think goes on at a secondary school, but yeah, it was a, it was a, yeah, a bit of a rough, not a rough upbringing, but 
I mean, my mum died when I was quite young. So when I got to about sort of 13, 14, I just, I rebelled against the drum and bass and all the rest of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start growing my hair, listening to Alki Brooks, <laughs> Tracy Chapman, a bit of Beatles, Led Zeppelin. You know, well, actually, I hadn't got into Led Zeppelin at that point. So I would sort of, so I was starting to listen to my dad's music, really. That I was, was going to say, where did you find the music? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So when I left school, I turned 16 probably a few weeks after I left school. And then uh, a few weeks after that, my dad had a, it was the day before Princess Diana passed away. 97? Yeah, 97. He had a brain hemorrhage. So I was left in the house. Well, my brother was there for about two days until he was like, screw this, I'm off. And he, he went off with his girlfriend at the time and they went to live at Fella Hill, as I was talking about earlier. Uh, so I uh, went upstairs. My dad used to be a DJ. So I found all these like suitcases. I knew I had them. I pulled them all out. It was all old records. So I had his record collection that he had downstairs, but all of a sudden I had this extra record collection. So it was just a big, in I just, a all of a sudden I had a surge for it. You know what I mean? Where I really wanted to listen to music and I just spent so much time listening to music. Why do you think you had that surge for it? I don't know. I think it was always there, but I'd sort of had to repress it because obviously, I mean, if I'd probably, got, I mean, I was, there was a fair amount of bullying going on and, and when I probably bullied at, at points you know what I mean it was kind of like a domino effect you know every, everyone was giving everyone grief it was it was a really hostile it could be very hostile like I think being a being a young lad around this area and uh yeah so I just think I'd sort of put it to the back of my head, but I love singing I love, I've always loved singing me and my brother used to sing in the when we were getting into the bath when we were little we'd be singing you know what I mean? We'd always be singing at night and stuff, falling asleep, singing and stuff. So I'd always sang. So when I left school, when I was about 11, 12, my first school, they'd, I'd said, I want to do a, in the play, I want to do a solo, a, a singing solo. And they, they didn't even know I could sing. And when they heard me sing, they were like, wow. And that was the last thing I ever did in that school. What year was that? Oh, what? That was my final year of school. Year I think 11? It was year 11? Year 8. No, this is before I went to secondary school. Ah. But when I went to secondary school, after about That's a few year months. Six. Year 6, you leave primary school. Yeah, but it, it, back then it was year 7. Oh, okay. Yeah, you left at year 7 back then. They, ch they changed it a few years later. But when I went to secondary school, I had a teacher called Angie, who wasn't even my teacher. She was like a badminton teacher, who came up to me out of nowhere and said, I've heard you've got a lovely singing voice. And I was like, right. And she wanted me to join the choir, which was like on a Friday lunch. It wasn't happening. But at the same time, as soon as she said that, I knew that it wasn't like a fresh start. You know what I mean? It was everything. All the information they had on me had been passed to the next school. And it was just like, I just had, it was just eight years of hell. I didn't like school. I didn't like school at all. By the end of school, I used to go to school because I liked the people. I used to like hanging about with people, but I never went to the lessons. I just like, hang about in the corridors or so yeah it's so when I when I left school I started working and that 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 was a big shock you know what I mean going into the back into a working environment so then I realized that actually I, I needed an education so that's when I went back to college um so I was by this point I was listening to a lot of music and that's when I started meeting people that played guitar stuff like that. I started to learn a bit of guitar as well so I was I was writing my own songs probably from about 17 but then when I got to about sort of 20 and I met maybe I was a bit younger no, I think I was about 20 when I started forming the band I sort of just dropped the guitar because I was a singer 
So that was my thing. And then I met um, I met Trev, a lad called Trevor, um, who I know sadly no longer speak to. That's another story. Um, that's because he, he left he left the band from Trev. He'd have been the lead guitarist when you first saw us. Vaguely, maybe. Yeah. So Trev, me and Trev started the band basically. It was named after my street that I grew up on, the Rushmore. Oh, okay. Um, and I was going to college at the time with Steve Robotham, who's Neil's younger brother. So Steve had said to me, look, my brother's a good guitarist. I think you and him would hit it off. He was right, we did. So then we had like a threesome. <laughs> Not like that. Um, and then I had a friend called Terran, who I got in on the bass. And then we were like, well, we need kind of need a drummer here. And that's when we went and I think we had a couple of drummers before James, like real, that didn't last long, you know. And then we had, uh, we got James. So we met James in a pub. He was about, he was 15 or 16. And he was like drinking pints of cider and hammering them down as well. And uh, he decided to join us. You're like, that's drummer material. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's a drummer. So we used to go to gigs and they were like, he can't come in. And be like, well, you ain't got a band then. And he'd be like, he can come in then. I'm like, excellent. Oh, because he's too young for the pubs. He was pub. too young for the oh, pubs. Oh, man, yeah. But he drank more than all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, and then after about four years of that, James went off to uni. So then we had lots of other different drummers. Um, I've got a very funny story about a drummer. Go on. <laughs> you want to hear it? Okay. So, basically what happened is, James has left and we've had lots of different drummers over the years some of them have been a complete nightmare but we had this drummer called Dean and Dean if, if Dean's listening lovely guy we, salt of the earth such a nice guy and his second name was Bonham which kept him in the band for about an extra two years I think but Dean would get very excited at gigs and, and play out of time sometimes only sometimes I think it was more whether Trev had an issue I've got, I don't know exactly what had gone on but the band had become quite uncomfortable playing with him live because it... it, it, it was it like a bit of an experience, maybe, was it? Yeah, it, like it just wasn't right for our band. He was like a real heavy, like, rock rock drummer. And I'm sure he could have adapted, to be fair. But either way, we decided that we were going to replace Dean. And I was like, look, yeah, how are we going to tell Dean? And basically, Trevor said, look, if we just get rid of him and then we we have drummers come in every week and eventually we should, we're going to be here for another six months, you know, before we get on the road again and, and can play. And this had kind of happened quite a lot. So I was like, yeah, I, I kind of get it. So what we should do is carry on rehearsing with Dean on a Tuesday, but then have another rehearsal and look for drummers to bring him in so we can overlap and then eventually let G Dean go and bring someone in. So reluctantly, yeah, okay, let's do that. So... It got to the night where we're, we're going to try out this new drummer. And Trev had found him on the internet. And I was like, what's he like, Trev? And he's like, honestly, he's absolutely electric. He's like a jazz drummer. But he can do rock. He can do anything. He can do classical if you wanted. He's brilliant. I was like, right. What's he like as a... Well, and he saw his like profile pic. He seems like a nice lad. Okay, excellent. So we stood outside, me, Terran, and Trev, waiting for this lad to turn up. And a car starts coming down. <coughs> Brand new. Mobility. <laughs> it's pulled in. 
Just pulled in. You know when someone pulls into a car, like a little space in a car park and you expect the door opens and you expect their head to pop up? That never happened. So the door opened and it closed again. And I was like, what's going on here? The fuck's... And this tiny little midget fella came out in between the cars. Honestly, I look at Trev and Trev's jaw is on the floor. And he just walks off because he knows that he can't contain... Because we're not laughing at the fact that he's a midget. We're laughing at the fact that it's a funny situation. Cause we weren't expecting it. We weren't expecting it. It was the shock of it. And Trev's just w- almost ran off. Hold it. <laughs> ran off. Now I've turned around. Hello. Rubbed the top of his head. How are you doing? No, you didn't. Of course I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Picked him up, winded him. <laughs> Jeez. So I was like, how are you doing, mate? And you've got to act like he's not a midget. You know what I mean? Because it's rude to just be like, let me know, you're a midget. You know what I mean? So, I've, I mean, I have met midgets in the past and it's never been an issue. But this was the, I, like I knew this, the midget I knew in the past, I knew he was a midget and he came around my house and I knew he was going to midget when I opened the door. I knew. <laughs> I knew he was going to be a midget, Hugh. Yeah? It's not like I opened the door and was like, there's no fucker there and closed it again. You know what I mean? I opened it, looked down, it was a midget. I knew he was coming. <laughs> this guy... <laughs> This guy, it was a shock. It was unannounced. So I was like, how you doing? You're all right, mate. Shook his hand and all the rest of it. Yeah, come in. So the whole two hours, the band were just... No one could obviously laugh about it or make a joke. But we got out afterwards and we waved him off. And What was he like he on said, the drums? Fucking brilliant. What's Honestly, the problem? this is the problem. This is the problem. I'll get to it. So... Trev's gone, look, do you think he's going to be able to learn all the songs in time? I was like, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? He's a midget. That's not going to affect his, you know what I mean, his capability of remembering chords and stuff. You know what I mean? It's all drum patterns. He'll be fine. It's a tall order. Oh, oh cheap. God. That's cheap, that. Trev said he keeps missing the hi-hats. I was like, well, tell him when he needs to hit him. He's like, no, I mean, he keeps missing them. I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so I couldn't have it. I couldn't have that. So I said, they said, look, he's brilliant. Imagine the gigs we're going to get. Look at Def Leppard, one-armed drummer. They're massive. I was like, they were massive before he lost his arm. Yeah? I want to be known as the band that've got an amazing guitarist or the band that've got amazing songs or the band that've got a great vocalist. I don't want to be known as the band that, huh, midget drummer. I just think it's like, although he might be brilliant, I just I don't want to get really big on the back of him being a midget. You didn't. You don't tell me. You chose not to have him in the band just because he's a midget. You are kidding me. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh my god! If I had a diversity inclusion policy for this podcast, I, know. I would be sacking myself. I know for this I'm, conversation. I'm a bad person. Are you kidding? <laughs> You're serious, aren't you? At the same Jesus time, Christ. <laughs> at the same time, you. A few a few months ago. <laughs> You. <laughs> a few months ago, someone mentioned it to me, and I was talking about it, and I was like, "They were like, think about it. You could be sat in a fucking mansion now, yeah. You could be sat in a mansion now. He could have his own little house. He wouldn't need a mansion, would he? Let's face it, just a cottage or a bungalow, adapted. <laughs> um, he could be in his own house. You could be in your own house. Ha- you know, a mansion. You could be really. And I got worried, so I googled him, midget drummer, Leonard Spur. <laughs> Because if he was Did successful... You not know his name? No, I completely forgot it. <laughs> if, I, if he had been successful, I'd have been angry. So luckily, 
He's completely failed in his life, and I haven't heard no, anything of him. No, you, you are a horrible so. person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but do you know what Trev said? Trev said, it. he's like, That's web, web, that website's out of order. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's out of order. And he's like, they should do a full body profile picture. So what are you on about? And he's like, well, look, he had a profile pic, but it was just his head. And his head was normal. His head was normal. So I, was, what, so I don't know if he was a dwarf or a midget. I don't know like, what politically... If that's politically correct. He was a small person with a big head. But yeah, Trevor said he shouldn't have just had a head pick. He should have been a full body pick. So so that's that. So yeah, because he was a midget, we didn't have him in the band. <laughs> and James came back from uni. So really, at the end of the day, that was a godsend, wasn't it? That James came back and everything. Not for... We, I mean, if James had come back, we'd have been on bloody tour with Finn Lizzie. You know what I mean? With a little fella at the back going for... You know what I mean? Jesus Christ. Going for gold. Oh my God. But yeah, I did feel guilty, but at the same time, I was like, I can't, I don't want to be a big battle, get to a certain level because of, we've got a midget drummer. Would you make the same decision now? Yes. No. Maybe not actually, because I've got a daughter, let's cash out. Because I never, I've, I never thought I'd do a Christmas song. But when, I think to be fair, I never was going to do a Christmas song until they started this song, and it was in it was in July or June, and I was like, and then James started doing the drum beat, and I was like, hang on, do a little bell there, James, ding 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 ding. I was like, it's a fucking Christmas song, this. So that's when we wrote the Christmas song, and they said, well, does it? You, you want to write? You want to write a Christmas? I was like, I've got a daughter now. It's time to sell out, cash out. We've got to do it. Let's do a Christmas song. Have you heard our Christmas song? I think I have. It's brilliant. This is like two years ago, isn't it? It's, it's the best Christmas song since the darkness. Are you kidding? No, I'm not joking. It's on it. Hugh, it's, it's one on of Spotify. our it's one of our best songs, but unfortunately, we can only play it one once a year, and because we never get gigs at Christmas, we never play it. Is it so on we'll Spotify? Just crack it out of band practice. Is it on Spotify? Uh, no, but I believe it's on YouTube. Is it? Yes, and in the video, I don't look well. I got messages after that video. Probably the guilt after sacking the midget. More than likely. There like, were tears. Rushmore, what's it called? This time of year. This time of this I have heard this song. I have heard it, yeah. Uh, Russ's lad keeps taking our YouTube videos down. There is that as well. Keeps going into Russ's phone and just taking our videos offline. Really? <laughs> Bless him. Yeah. Or he was. Rushmore. This time of year song. Can't find it, hang on. Let's see if I'll have a look. Sorry people watching and listening while we dig this up. How hard is it to find um find, it's find really band members to gel? Oh. Together. Yeah, quite difficult to be fair. I think sometimes it just takes a bit of time because I I don't like because the band will play and I'll just say things. I'll just come out with stuff. You know, I just that's how I write my lyrics. I just blah 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 blah. Some of it's going to stick, some of it's not. And I, I, I don't know if I've ever said anything that's really embarrassing or anything, but sometimes it would just be rubbish, you know what I mean, or just gobbledygook. And no one ever picks up on it. They're like, oh, they're getting into it. And I've just said something really stupid. It's very rare that I'll be like, but I was very conscious of that. Yeah. So like with, when Russ joined the band, it took me probably six months to actually be able to write with him properly. You know, for him to come up with a lick and me be like, rah, 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 and come out with something really confident and fucking, oh, that's going to So work. you make up the lyrics on the spot? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
I usually what I do is the song will or the chord will resonate like a memory, something in my head, like a situation yeah. or or a story or a person or just a feeling, and then I'll write about that subject matter. I've got it. I've got um, it. I've got, got the it? song. I've got the song. It's on sound. And, and when we were writing this as well, I was like, I can, fucking, I can hear a saxophone. And they were like, you what? I can hear a saxophone. They're like, Pfft. and I was like, no, we need a saxophone in it. And towards the end, there is a saxophone in it. And I think it's the best bit about the song. And the breakdown as well. I was like, oh no, we need to come down to a, like a, is it, I conducted this song. I'm really proud of it because I conducted it. I pretty much conducted this song. So, shall I play this entire thing? You could play the entire thing. It is a Christmas song, right? We could talk over it as well. But so when they came back, started doing this in July, I was like, hang on. This time of year. This time of year. I feel like a mulled wine. See, I never get to sing it. I love it. It's a brilliant song. Who sings it? Well, I do. But oh, oh, right. Only once, once a, year. a year. Usually at band practice. To a really bad standard as well, because we're trying to remember it. And we haven't got a saxophone player. <laughs> the last 12 months I've missed you so Kiss under the mistletoe it's, that, it's weird listening to a Christmas song in July, isn't it? Yeah. It's weird. And it's quite... Ang- My brother listened to it. He's like, it's really angsty. It's not very Christmassy. I was like, it's a Russian or song. I can't just be like... Yeah but, yeah, but the thing is, mate, <clears throat> if if Rage Against the Machine Killing the Name Of can be a Christmas number one, anything oh, can yeah. be. Yeah, anything that, can be. Yeah. And Die Hard's a Christmas movie, isn't it? Apparently. Well, set at Christmas time. A lot of people watch that Christmas Day. Apparently, they used they used to show the um, they used to show, every Christmas they used to show the 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 three before all the rest of the Star Wars films came out. Christmas was the Star Wars film. Yeah, I used to love watching Star yeah. Wars. Boxing Day was always Return of the Return Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I mean, I always watch Passion of the Christ. I just like to have it on in the background. You know, the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> really, no, no. <laughs> to relax. Yeah, just on the background. Yeah, it's background noise. Christmas Day when the kids are around, everyone else, the family. Something nice, relaxing in the background. So, so I'll go back to songwriting. So you do them on the, you you you'll basically one of the ways you do it is you'll think up a song on you think up a lyric on the fly to match what's just been created in rehearsals, right? Yeah. Or in band practice, yeah. right? And then, but do you also write lyrics or music beforehand and then go to the band and say, "Yo, no, 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 never, no." Wow. So. I'll sometimes come up with lyrics, but I won't tell them about it. I'll just have lyrics saved. Like, oh, that's a good subject matter. I'll have that. And then when something matches it, I'm like, oh, that could be good for this. Or, But usually it's just off the cuff. It'll be something that reminds you of something and I'll come out with something. And then a lot of the time I'll have to go, oh, Ash, not that note. We need to go out octave higher or an octave lower. And he'll usually know what I'm on about. The band should get what I want usually because I'll go and it won't fit what they're doing and they'll adapt and then second time round they they go into it all of a sudden mm. I'm not very technical when it comes to like I don't read music I don't know what notes are or you know what I mean you could play me a C and I'd be like yeah, it's a G I don't know um, 
but when it comes to having a music, I've got, I think I've got a good musical ear. Like with that song, for instance, like the little breakdown and stuff like that, I knew it needed certain things, like straight away. And like I knew it needed a saxophone. And towards the end, it, it gets that saxophone and it's, it makes the whole song. It's Who did brilliant. you get to do the saxophone for? Uh, Ashes, uh, Mrs. Ashes, the... Ash is the bass player. Oh, the bass player, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So his Mrs. Juliet, um, she came in. I kind of told her what I wanted. And she was like, yeah, okay, I kind of get it. And she, she, I think she tried to emulate it. Um, <coughs> but I was kind of, I, this is what I want, Juliet. <laughs> she was like, right, okay, <laughs> fucking idiot. And then she went into the studio and she did her thing. And then when she came out, I'd already spoke to my producer and he was like, I think I know what you're on about. He could, I think he could hear it as well. Rugby for Heroes brought you this podcast today. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation formed in 2009 in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whittaker, who was sadly killed serving on operations with the Parachute Regiment in Afghanistan. Since Joe's death, Rugby for Heroes have raised in excess of £125,000 for military charities. And they've been doing this year in, year out by organising fundraising events themed around rugby, beer and gin, food, live music and great people. They regularly hold events and you can expect soon for a supper club to be added to their calendar. Their most recent event was a beer and gin festival held in Old Leventonians RFC and Leventon Spa, the home of Rugby for Heroes, and a club who recognise, as many others do, the huge impact that Rugby for Heroes has, not only on the military community, but also on the local community. You can keep up to date with what Rugby for Heroes are doing by following them on social media at rugby number four heroes rugby for heroes and get onto their website rugbyforheroes.org i strongly suggest you do get to their events and i will see you at the next event i've been to every single one of their events since i discovered rugby for heroes and quite frankly since they supported me through very difficult times so i hold them very close to my heart and i'm very appreciative of their support as are many other hr fans who have been touched in different ways by Rugby for Heroes over the years. Rugbyforheroes.org. So he chopped and changed it and it sounds beautiful. It's just what I wanted. So yeah. But yeah, when she came out, this is what I want. She was like, what are you on about? So yeah. yeah. But she did a great job. But it'd be nice to get her to come and do it live. But as I say, who wants to come and play on Christmas Day? You know? But we could get a Christmas gig, I suppose, you know, a couple of weeks leading up to Christmas. You could do a live fun. video. You could do a video and release the video, couldn't you? This yeah, well, we, Christmas we, live video. We've, we've got a video, but as I say, I've got a lot of messages after the video. Why? Because me and Ash had gone out for a cheeky cigarette. And it was a very cheeky cigarette before we recorded the video. Right. And then when we came in, my eyes were red raw. Oh, no. Yeah, it was a very cheeky cigarette. Was it? Yeah, so we had half that cheeky cigarette each. And then we both looked very cheeky <laughs> afterwards. That Ash looked Chinese. <laughs> if you watch the video back, and I'm like, oh, I'm so gone, so far gone. You know what I mean? But I mean, usually you get away with you get a couple of beers and that. You could probably get away with that. We didn't get away with it at all. I got messages saying, Are you okay? You look really unwell. And I was like, oh, I think I'm just very stoned in the video. 
oh, that's okay then. But people were legitimately worried about me. I think they might have thought I'd been crying or something. But, yeah. Do you enjoy the process more or do you enjoy the performing more? Um, performing, definitely. I do enjoy band practice. Though. We always have a good laugh at band practice. Always. Sometimes you'll be like, oh, God, band practice tonight. You know, cause you've been at work all day and you come home for an hour. It can be a grind. Um, especially if you know you're only going to go in and rehearse the set. Oh, we're going to do the set list twice tonight. Two 45-minute slots. Two, you know, two lots of songs. Because we're not going to get creating anything. We're not going to write anything. Sometimes you'll go to practice really up for it and there's the spark's not quite there for everyone you know, sometimes you'll go oh I can't be and you'll turn and everyone's on fire and it gives you your fire you know what I mean so it's just you know swings and roundabouts but majority of the time you look, I look forward to it how did you get in the zone for, for a gig then? Oh, I, I like I've always been I like the centre of attention to be honest I kind of do and I don't, you know what I mean? I'm I'm quite a shy person in a way, but if it's something I feel I'm good at, I'm a show off. You know what I mean? So um yeah. So I I I don't I get nervous sometimes, but not that much. I more get excited. Excited to get out there and and show, especially if we've got new songs to play. If we've got new songs to play, I won't even be no, I'll just be excited. Just excited oh, really? just to get them out there and get people's feedback from it and that's another thing I think I don't go out that often so it's nice to to go out and socialise mm. you know that's a lovely thing about gigs especially when you get people turning up you know you and Kate come my brother comes his missus they might bring their kids Nez's girlfriend comes she brings a load of mates an old schoolmate might turn up and you know what I mean it's sort of if you're going out just randomly, it's very rare that you'll get random people just turning up out of nowhere, but sometimes I'll go to one of my gigs and there'll be like an old school buddy there or someone I haven't seen in years. And like, oh, I saw your gig was advertised and I thought I'd come along to it. Mm. You know, and and fans, you know, like I've met really nice people from gigging that have liked our music so much that they follow us around. You know, and that's wicked. That's you know, cool. That's a really nice thing. Were you always quiet as a kid? Uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say I was quite quiet. I suppose I don't think I was naughty. I think I was misunderstood more than anything. But I was quite a rebel. I was a bit of a rebel. I used to like a fight. Oh really? Yeah. Oh no. I was bad for that. Not bad in terms of, but I I like I didn't mind it. I, I I used to I think what it was is I used to find myself getting into scraps quite a lot. Why is that? Just to prove you have to prove yourself, prove yourself constantly. It's like peer group pressures. If usually with a mate, you end up scrapping with a mate, or you know what I mean. But I used to have a it, growing up. I probably if I didn't have five fights in a year, that would be strange. I'd always five or six fights a year easily. Won't win them all. You know what I mean, but. Always take part, you know what I mean? <laughs> to take your part that counts. And that's what counts, you. Yeah. <laughs> giving it your all and taking part. But I was, you know, I was getting bullied at, at times by people that I'm good mates with now. Oh, really? Yeah. Three or four fights with one lad who used to beat me up every time. He had, fucking, he had a fucking beard. I didn't have any pubes. In school? Yeah. I hated those kids. You know what I mean? So we were in <laughs> secondary school. He was like, 
we were both 11, but I had the body of an 11-year-old, and he had the body of like an 18-year-old. And, he, and he'd pick on me because he knew I'd fight him for a start. He knew I'd have a fight with him. But the second, he knew it might be a bit close, but he knew he'd probably get the other. I think I drew one with him. How would you, hang on a minute. How now, would you decide, how would you now, decide a draw? Just in my own head. I was like, that was a fucking draw. Because he copped out. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was a fucking draw, that one. <laughs> I mean, he might want to, but I drew that one. Now, I reckon I'd beat the fuck out of him. You know what I mean? And if I, I'm sure if I said it to him, it'd be like... <laughs> Yeah, but you don't want to be fighting. No, no, now. of course. Of course. I, mean, I mean, just in general. I haven't fought since I've been about 20, it's not 22, worth the risk. 23. It's not worth the risk. But growing up around this area, it was almost impossible to avoid it. Really? Yeah. See, I haven't been around you for that long, really. I, mean, I, I, I live in Essex. Yeah. I come up here to see Kate, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And obviously, got mates of you, 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 Jared, and people like that. And um, I mean, we got a lot of mutual friends. And it, I don't, I mean, I don't get that vibe. I do when I yeah, go yeah. into Coventry. Yeah, now, I had never rough. been to Coventry before until maybe four years ago. Yeah, not what I was expecting. When you're a city, you have certain expectations. <laughs> it's rough, and it was not what I was expecting. Yeah, my my god, my office is in the red light district in the Hillfields. I didn't know there was one. Yeah, no, I didn't until my mate <laughs> told me. I've been working there for a month and a half, and he was like, "As you're working in the red," and I was like, "Am I?" And once he'd said it to me. See it I see it now and I'm like oh, fucking no. hell yeah shit and it's everywhere mate it's really bad like Coventry's really rough really rough but Leamington used to be quite rough in the 80s in the 80s late 80s it was quite quite rough bottom end of Leamington uh, Campion Hill area like Linton it was quite rough up there as well but I don't think it would be rough if you were like a middle aged man walking down the street I think it was just rough if you were a 14, 15 year old lad you know what I mean? Because it just was. just it, That was the nature of it. I remember going up to the fair. I used to hate going to the fair. I remember going to the fair as a kid. Yeah. Like, yeah. fucking hell, I hated going to the fair. From about 12 to like 16 with boys going to the fair. Well, see, I would it's rarely go. I'd, I'd rarely go without my pa- my one of my parents, see? See, there you so go. So I grew up very different to you. Yeah. I was... I was not streetwise. I lived on I lived on on a fucking mountain on a farm in Wales. Like yeah, didn't have yeah. any social interaction whatsoever. So it was like the opposite to you. So I was yeah. really so socially insecure, hated confrontation, anything yeah. like that. And I didn't. And I was tied to my parents for yeah. a long time, unusually so until I was older. I hate confrontation now, and I didn't like it as a kid, but it would always lead to fighting. You know what I mean? It would always lead to fighting. I wouldn't say I liked fighting. But I'd say I was good. I was. I weren't bad at it. I could. Pretend, I could handle myself. Sounds like you had the practice, mate. Yeah, I had to. I had to really. But I mean, yeah, I could just handle myself. It was never fucking hard. Well, the fair, fucking hard. I lost the, a lot of fights. The you know fair I mean? was the fair. Like fairs were ripe they for fights because that, because he drew all of the crowds to oh, the same place. The off your stomping ground. Yeah. You're in there and you're around fairground type people yeah. like the people who run fairs don't really care about yeah. what's going down 100 they're there to get your money yeah and that is it like that, that lad with a massive bit of snot and he's got like <laughs> a mullet but yeah. with like a little bit yeah. of a ponytail as running well running the dodgums yeah he runs the dodgums for his dad he's about 10 <laughs> and i remember watching a fight and i can't remember the lad's name but he was like a local lad and he was a quite a fat lad and they were like i think his name was gordon and they were like he's never lost a fight this guy and I was like oh okay at the fair, he no, was he's, fair he's, he's, he's never lost a fight no he was like a local lad oh, yeah. and he had a fight with I don't know if he was having a fight with another local lad or a fair lad but this fight was 
brutal. And it just went on and on and on. And he lost. He lost. But because he kept losing, he kept going back for more. Because he didn't oh. want her to lose. So really, he lost about three fights in one night. So he went from undefeated to 10 and 1 or whatever it was, or yeah. 10 and 3. Um, <laughs> on his scorecard. Yeah, on his scorecard. Yeah. I mean, uh, can you imagine, can you imagine, though, growing up, like, you think about travellers, and we talk about fairground, and it's so fucking different that like, travellers wind me up. Wind me up. In circumstances where they just yeah. take the piss. Like, where I was, uh, where, where I live, um, it was about, it's not long ago, we're talking about maybe a month ago, and it was about two, no, about half past 12 at night. And I get my head down early, right? About 12, half 12 at night, and I, I'm listening, like, and you're like kids running up and down the main road outside, right? I'm like, what? And I could hear some music, and it sounded like it was a party going up the street. I thought, what? That's weird around here. And why would they be letting the kids run up and down the street? And I, I, I looked up, put up the blinds, made sure the light was off so it wasn't big. Put up the blinds, I looked out up, up the main road. I can't, you can't see much, but it's a main road we don't re you don't really park. You can park on one side, but there were fucking vans everywhere. They were on the verges. They were everywhere. Yeah, I was like, so oh my God. Breaking into the vans. Right, travellers. There's travellers, I thought. But there's nowhere around here for them to go and take over. I thought, my immediate assumption was they're coming here to take over some land and stay there for six weeks, eight weeks, whatever. All the yeah, caravans yeah. come in. I thought, no, nah, it's now the party. I said, no, nah, it's weird. And they got my head down. The next morning, it did start. It went on for a couple of hours, and the next morning I went out and had a look. I walk, went out, walked up the street to see what had been going down. There's some litter and stuff around. There were some signs where they'd been parked up, and then, and then down a little a little street there was two vans there, and they were like builders' vans, but they had. You could just tell. You could just you know you can just tell when gypsy wagons are about. Gypsies are about the 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 the, the builder type vehicles. They had no signage on them. They had like weird ribbons and stuff in the windscreen, colourful things. You know, like this. You go, that's like, okay. Bit of heather. Yeah, yeah. He's like tinkers. And then, and then I thought, okay, but good. They've buggered off. Two things I can't stand. Gypsies and, as you know, midgets. <laughs> I hope this doesn't go uh, out of you. We're going to be in big trouble. On. But on the icebreaker, you say you can't stand good morning either. And uh, this morning. Anyway, back to the back to the gypsies. So, they, so I thought, okay, that's cool. They buggered off. And then I, I was working from home that day. And then about two in the afternoon, no, probably yeah, one or two in the afternoon, I hear a commotion outside again. I look out. And there are wagons everywhere. They've taken over everything, right? And yeah. they've parked everywhere to the point where... They, they parked all of the bus stop there's cars struggling to get past the busy road cars struggling to get past I'm like fuck then I had to go into the school run so I get in my car to drive out and I drive round and they're double parked on both sides of this tiny little road there's people standing everywhere in the road and the, the, they're not actively getting out of the way of me trying to drive through in the car they just like glance over they're all just carrying on what they're doing glance over and just sort of gradually move out of the way <laughs> as if I'm the problem yeah, as yeah. if I'm the problem yeah. but like fucking hell but back to my point can you they are in a different world they're, all of them grew up in that world mm. it's totally normal it's like when you know it's like well it's like weird one to liken it to but it's like where you hear these stories of a, there was that daughter in like the Netherlands somewhere who for 15 years was held captive by her dad and like didn't realise she all, all she ever knew was yeah. in that house and that's normal and getting oh, abused yeah. and that's normality I, I, I don't else. think the gypsies think no, they're in the no, wrong no no they but don't that's, that's a way of life to them yeah. so when you think about like going to scrapping with them and going to the fair you you are in their world yep you 
you better fucking watch out. Man. Yeah, and, and that's why recently that is why I ain't out the window of my car going get the fuck out of the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no problem. Yeah. I'm the issue. Let yeah. me get you. Well, I, I was oh, at God. swimming baths with a disabled guy who went down the flume, and when he came down the flume, he sort of struggled because he was a big guy and he's about seventy and he's deaf. He's got learning difficulties. And about halfway down, you I were there with him. I was at swimming baths with him. Oh, swimming baths. Him. So, so I'm waiting at the other end of the flume. The swimming baths? Yeah. The pool? Yeah, the pool. The baths? The baths. Swimming this baths. This is 1960s. <laughs> you know, I'm a... Swimming baths, all right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go on. I was born in the 80s. Swimming baths. Delighted. What would you call it? A fucking swimming pool. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Swimming pool. Go on. Well, we're at the swimming baths. We don't start swearing more, so we start talking about gypsies. <laughs> yeah, well, natural. <laughs> so go he's, on. he's, he's come bath. down, he's gone straight into his back. He hasn't waited for him to like oh, no. get out the other end, so he's gone straight, ram, ooh, straight into his back. And I've gone, oh, you fucking dickhead. What are you playing at? He's fucking got learning difficulties and he's disabled, man. And he's, and he's 70. He's just gone into his back. And he went, I'm sorry about that. I'm like, oh, shit. I realised immediately he had the Elvis hair, centre part the And the accent. I was like, fuck. Then what comes down the flume? His twin brother. And they're both big, big lads. Anyway, I go and sit in the jacuzzi because Steve, he was like a seal. When he was in the pool, you could just leave him to it and you could just see the top of his head. This when you were in the count? Yeah. Yeah. Great swimmer. So I left him to it, got in the jacuzzi. Anyway, they get into the jacuzzi, didn't they? I don't think they sat either side of me, but if if I'm telling this story, I should say they came and sat either side of me. They didn't. They both came and sat in the jacuzzi. And he went, uh, tell you, you're brave saying that to me. If you'd have said that outside, we'd have had a photo of that. You know what I mean? Sim- something similar to that. Something like, if you'd have said that outside and we didn't know that you were trying to protect that lad, we'd have had a fight about that. And I was like, well, he hasn't got a voice, mate, so unfortunately, I've got to say something. And he was like, no, no, I'm just saying, if you'd have said it like that outside, we'd have had a fight about that. That's I'm a like, great accent, by the way. I was like, yeah. No problem. Yeah, it's fine. The thing is with him, it's like they're, they're, like anything different. It, the, the problem is for us with us being non gypsies, they're unpredictable to us, and they're completely and they're different. So you don't yeah. know, you don't know what the cues are, the social cues, the physical yeah. cues. You don't know what those are. You don't know what well, is look at the furies. threatening to them, what is not. Look at the furies. Know, yeah, but he's some of the, the press conferences. Really? I mean, I mean, I haven't seen many of the. Press I love Tyson. I love I've him, got yeah. it, I've got his autograph and everything. But when he was talking about his mental health issues, now I was really depressed at one point. You, I was very very low. And I, you know, I, I fathomed to see how he was that low. And I saw how low he was at times. He got big and all the rest of it. But I also know a liar when I see one. And I seen him on that Joe Rogan podcast talking about you nearly driving into a bridge and that. And I called bullshit on it from the start. Really, I didn't. Yeah, I really. Did. Yeah. And now look at him. Now look at him. He's been proven every other word that comes out of his mouth. Every other word that comes out of that bloke's mouth is bollocks. And and in in the ring, I love him. I admire him. But it's stuff that he'll say in the press conference like, not a man born from my mother's, from my mother's, you know, and at one press conference, he got, he, he must have just not thought about what he was saying. He, not a woman, not a man born from my from my mother's. He said, "See," and I was like, "Wow!" In America, at a press conference, I was just that's like, "That's a cultural thing, though." That's just yeah, his, his I think culture, it, I think it is. Culture. But just the way I've I've seen him, do, I'm I'm a good judge of person. I'm a good judge, of, and I just when I was watching it, watch it back, watch it back. I think he'll be proven to be not maybe a full throw. I think he had some depression. 
Don't get me wrong. But whether he was low as he made out. So you think maybe he's embellished on some things. The Aardvark Group brought you this show today. The Aardvark Group are a hugely experienced defense and security company who develop solutions for post-conflict zones and a complex world. They have been developing and delivering highly impactful technical solutions since 1982 through the deployment of innovative technologies, techniques, services, and people. They've been saving lives and protecting people and assets against the global threat of explosive ordnance for decades. Their equipment and their products and their technologies are developed by operators, for operators. They've got a huge proportion of their workforce who are ex-military, and they are massive proponents of the ex-military value within the industry. They answer the needs of states, NGOs, international or regional institutions, and private corporations. The Aardvark Group first became known to myself and to H.O.A. very early on when I was introduced to the CEO, David St. John Clare, who at that time was putting in significant personal effort to raise money for military charities at the height of the Afghan campaign. The Aardvark Group commits just as much energy as David within the company to support the military community, and this has been demonstrated through the Armed Forces Employee Recognition Scheme Awards. You can find out more about the Aardvark Group at aardvark.group, and you can follow them on social media. They're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, and they're on Facebook. Simply search for the Aardvark Group and you will find them. I strongly suggest you do, and they will certainly appreciate the follow and the engagement from HOA fans. Aardvark.group. That surprised me. I listened to that, yeah. and because and, I didn't know much about it right before that, yeah. I thought he was an arsehole. Yeah. In very much the way I didn't like McGregor earlier. I thought, you gobshite, like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then he sort of realized, like, this is the business. I understand it. Yeah. And then that podcast. Yeah, Fury's podcast with Rogan that completely changed my yeah. perception of him and now you're ruining that I know I'm sorry <laughs> watch it back I will my, my I, son I'm... Tyson oh. my son Tyson my son Tyson will be any man any man my son Tyson I'm trying to that's quite good isn't it that's good oh, yeah that's good, good. You, you, my mate was like you do that well are you good with accents yeah I'm really what's good what's your best accent Um. You know what? I don't know, to be honest. Um, got a few different ones. Obviously, Jamie Callagher. No, he's one that I do. Um, I'm actually practising Gary Neville at the minute, but the only thing I've got for Gary Neville at the minute is it's Manchester United. <laughs> that's all I've got. It's Manchester United. And that's it. Roy Keane. Yeah, go into him. Put a tackle in. You know, do, do your job. At least do your job. Take a pen knife out. Hide it in your sock. Slit his throat. Do something. You know what I mean, Roy Keane? Oh, I've got a few of them. I mean, I used to do Alan Hansen. Ah, oh, handsome, back in the day. Well, obviously, once you retired, then that impression was in the bin. But I honestly believe that other than Alan Hansen, I can do Alan Hansen better than any other person. <laughs> but I used to have a lot of accents. I mean, I can pull accents just out of thin air. Like, I can't remember who I did the other day. I was like, oh, I'm good at that. I didn't even realise I'd do it. I could do it. You know what I mean? It was someone famous. I was like, oh, wow, I was good at that. I should remember that. I wrote, forget about it. But a lot of that. So I rang my brother up once and I said, uh, um, hi, is Sean there, please? And he was like, yeah, speaking. And I could tell he was pissed off. He was in the mood already. I said, oh, hi, Sean, how are you doing? Um, I'm just calling from, I made up some names, some insurance company. Um, just calling because Phil, you've had an accident in the last two to three years. He's like, <laughs> Don't even fucking drive, mate. 
Uh, okay, Sean, well, what about on your bike or something like that? Have you had an accident out on the street, maybe? And he's like, mate, what the fuck are you on about? I don't even drive. Fuck off. Let's put the phone down. So I rang him back up. Hey, Sean, how are you doing, mate? It's me again. He's like, I ain't your fucking mate. He's like, why are you ringing this house again? I was like, Sean, calm down. Maybe you've had an accident when you were doing your paper round. Now he's a postman. So right. instantly he was like, do I fucking know you? And I was like, no, you don't know me, Sean. What about your wife, Cherry? Has she had an accident any at all in the last two to three years? Because I know she drives. And he's like, how the fuck do you know my wife's name? I was like, Sean, calm down, mate. I'm your brother. He's going, you ain't my fucking brother. And I went, Sean, I'm your brother, so calm down. <laughs> and he just went, what the hell? Because I, I melted his brain. He didn't even know I could do that. So he was just like, what the hell? He, I still ring him up to this day and go, hi, Sean, how are you doing, mate? And he'd be like, piss off. <laughs> but I fully got him. So yeah, I mean, I've always done like little voices and that. And, yeah, I'm quite good at little voices. <laughs> Things to pass the time, mate. This Things is it. Things to pass the time. This is it, mate. Things to pass the time. What were we talking about before that? Gypsies. Gypsy. Tyson, Bloody Tyson gypsies and midgets. Tyson Fury, yeah. Tyson. Yeah, Tyson Fury. I love Tyson. And I just think if he reigns in a little bit, he's a really good bloke. He is a good bloke. I can see he's a good bloke. But I just think he's embellished it a little bit at times for his own game. Where did you meet him to get his autograph then? My friend from Liverpool. From Liverpool. Chris Ramos. Chris, shout out to Chris. Um, he got it me for my birthday, I believe, a few years back. Oh, he bought you the autograph? He bought me the p- a picture with his oh, autograph. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I love Tyson. I love him. But I just think, be honest. Be honest. Because mm. he were, I don't think he was being 100% honest mm. when he was doing that. that. When, you're, when, you're, uh, when you've tapped into a song and you write your lyrics, do you, are, you, are your songs based on personal experience or feelings things like that or are they off the oh, cuff like, are the songs authentic yeah always I'll never write a song unless it means something <clears throat> otherwise you might as well stick it in the bin there's no point you know what I mean it's got to mean something not something to everyone it might just mean something to me it might be gobbledygook to everyone else you can take what you want from it you know if you think a song's about something I've had people say oh this song's about I'm like, it's not about that but to them, it could be about that. I don't, you know, whatever. But I've always wrote about something. I've got a lot to write about, to be honest. I've had a lot of heartache and a lot of, you know what I mean, trials and tribulations. And My mum died when I was eight. My dad had a brain hemorrhage when I was 16. What, he died from the hemorrhage? No, he, he survived, luckily. My dad died uh, uh, June... No, not June, blimmin' out. March, sorry, of... Last year. All oh, right, Jesus Christ. Sorry, yeah. Mate. So, um, so yeah, I've been through it quite a bit. You know what I mean. So, right from an early age, I had like a, a real, you know, losing your mum. It's crazy. You can't fathom it. I still can't fathom it. It's madness. Do you think that play has played a big part in your creativity? It's played. A, it's it's affected. And how creative you are. I mean, maybe yeah, maybe, but it's affected every every moment of my life really. You know what I mean? It's huge. Well, it's how did huge. you have to, when your mum died, how did you have to pivot? What, how did you have to change? Because I think you, you mentioned something about it earlier, didn't you? When she died. Well, when she died, my dad my dad liked to drink. My dad was, I'd probably say my dad was a working alcoholic. Like, he, he liked to drink. He never saw my dad drunk. 
I probably saw my dad drunk twice in my whole life. And probably towards the end, uh, maybe a little few more times, you know, when he was in a wheelchair sort of thing, couldn't handle his booze as, as well, but you could still he could still knock it back. But, you know, occasionally I'd see him wobbly. But in terms of when he was able-bodied, I seen him drunk probably once. And he was probably putting on, he was dr more drunk than he was, you know what I mean? Because I, I don't know how drunk he was, but my dad could sink 16 pints and be sober at the end of the night. You know, but so my mum passed away at eight and then I was already sort of, I was allowed to sort of go to the park, but I'd have to come back and check in sort of thing. So that carried on till I was probably about 10, something like that, nine or 10. And then after that, it was kind of like summer holidays, evenings, free roam. I'd used to come in about half eight, but then when I got to secondary school, I could pretty much come back whenever I wanted after sort of year eight. Yeah, after about year eight, I could come back whatever time I wanted, really. And I used to come back and smoke in my house and stuff, you know what I mean? We had no doors in our bedrooms, but we used to smoke in our bedrooms and stuff. And I was smoking dope from the age of about nine, ten, like properly as well, a lot. Um, I started drinking, when we were drinking and stuff like that. I stopped drinking when I was about 16, 17. And then started again when I was about 22. Really? Yeah, just completely stopped. How can we stopped? Oh, that so just I just unusual, crack, I just bleh, bleh, puking and all the rest of it. And I just thought, you know what? I'm better at smoking. I can <laughs> smoke all night and I can have a great time. If I drink, it usually ends with me being sick. So, I mean, one night we were we were doing a burglary. We'd had it planned for months. Hugh. A burglary? Yeah. <laughs> Hear me out. We'd had it... <laughs> Well, I wasn't stopping you. I was just surprised. Go on. We'd had it planned for months. And uh, we were having a house party at the time. So How old were you? I was about 14, I believe. Jesus. About 14. So we are having a house party. My dad was away. And there's a girl called Jocelyn, who my brother was going out with at the time. She was a couple of years older than me. She was probably about 16, 17. My brother's four years older than me. And she had a whole bottle of vodka. And I drank pretty much three quarters of this bottle of vodka and she was like giving yeah feeding you just feeding it me see how pissed you could get me i think so i woke up about two in the morning and the lads were in my room my mates obviously hung about with me but we were at the party because it was at my house so i woke up and they were like watching telly or whatever and i was like oh, what's going on what's happened and they were like you pissed up you puked up you fell asleep blah 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 and i was like what about what about the robbery Basically, there's a, a an ice cream factory <laughs> in the industrial estate. Not a bank, then. <laughs> yeah, no, not a bank or someone's nan. Thank God, it was an ice cream factory. But we had it planned. So we had like this map. We had like this map that we'd like drawn out. We had walkie-talkies, balaclavas, and I was like, well, fuck it. we've had it planned. We've got to do it now. We robbed so, an ice cream on money. You must have been 14, because you don't wake up, do you, after being really peed, peed. You must be have a hangover, and then just go straight out and do a robbery. But I was like, come on, let's get our stuff together. Must have been young, yeah. So we got our balaclavas on. It didn't end with us it, using the balaclavas and the... the well, it, in the daytime? No, this is nighttime. Oh, okay. It's right, about yeah. four in the morning or something like right, that. Yeah. So we went. It was snoking. It was in system, it's Sydenham Industrial Estate, and they used to have lorries, and they used to park the lorries up against this big metal piping. So you couldn't open the doors because you break the padlock off, open the doors. But sometimes to get what though, ice cream, ice cream, or Sara Gatto, <laughs> pizzas, 
Anything frozen, pretty much. Frozen peas. Imagine going to jail for robbing ice cream. I know. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad, wasn't it? It's like a Batman bad guy, isn't it? The Iceman or something. What does he do? He just steals frozen yeah. food. Like Batman's not that bothered about him, to be honest. Um, so we had it all planned, and we went, we did it, and we came back. Uh, it how did, did you get? Hang on. How did you get into the lorries? So basically, the, one of the drivers would get lazy. And not, well, not lazy, not just careless. Not yeah. back it up enough. So we'd smash the lock off, pull it out. If you've got it open that much, like a foot open, 14 year old can squeeze through and you'd be unloading everything. Were they freezer wagons? Yeah, they're like freezer wagons. Feel really guilty about it actually because they went bankrupt about a year later. Um, not so sure if our burglaries had anything to do well, with how, that. How much did you steal? We did multiple burglaries on that. Right, okay. It was bad. It was bad. Well, how much ice cream were you taking when you did these burglaries? A lot, a lot. What I, had doing a, with I had like what an army surplus it? bag. Yeah, I, I filled up. Yeah, I filled it up so much that it split at the bottom, and I left a, a trail of strawberry cornettos all the way back to my house. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not surprised it? that I didn't wake up to like. Excuse me, what? You left a trail of strawberry cornettos, you idiot. What were you doing with the ice creams? You brought them back? Just eating them. Oh my god! Sticking them in the freezer. My that dad is... came back from this holiday. The window was smashed. The cat had took a shit on the carpet that no one had cleaned up for four days. And it was like solid by this point. And the freezer and the fridge were full of frozen goods. He was just like, what the fuck's going on? Oh my God. Like literally what's going on? The that pricks. Is classic, like teenage, not yeah. giving a fuck about yeah, consequences for the smallest win. Yeah, the smallest gain. The smallest gain. Yeah. Gatto. Gatto. And I remember as well, we didn't have enough room in my freezer. And I like called Carl Walton. Shout out to Carl, if he's listening. I called Carl Walton said, well, my, my mum loves a Sarah Lee Gatter, so let's whip him up to my mum's house. She lived in, um, like, near Queens, Kingsway, Queensway area. So I was like, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So we stuck him in a bag, and we walked up, at, like, three in the morning. It's like the police had gone past us and stopped us. We are just caught for everything we've done, just just because we decided to, let's just walk with these Sarah Lee Gatters up to the, what are we doing? And for a start, he took all of them. We had eight Sarah Lee Gattos and we got back and I was like, he's took all of them. All eight. She ain't going to eat eight, is she? Maybe she did. Maybe she did. I was Maybe livid. Was it Slero? Remember Slero's? Yeah, yeah. They'd just come delicious. out. Delicious. Yeah, they were delicious. Not anymore. Not when you've had 82 of them in a sitting. <laughs> so you remember, did you basically come in bowling and get a bit better, grow a pair of balls kind of thing? Yeah, basically. Because you had to. Yeah, because I had to, yeah. Because of the lack of... Yeah, my well, dad, well, my dad provided for me and Sean amazingly. Like food. Always had a house full of food. Always Christmas, birthdays. I was the first one in my class to have a Nintendo Game Boy. First person. Like, I wanted a Nintendo. That's what I got for my birthday. You know what I mean? Like, no one had one. I had to go a whole year with my Nintendo boyfriend, uh, boyfriend, my Nintendo Game Boy, before anybody actually got one. You know what I mean? So you'd be passing it around the class, Tetris and stuff like that, and never wanted for anything in terms of that. He always provided in, in terms of that. He was really good like that. And we never went without. Um, but in terms of, like, my dad, as soon as, my, I'll never marry again. He never had a girlfriend. Oh, really? No, I'll never marry again. He was, what, 40? He must have been 46 when my mum passed away. No, younger. 38. My mum was 36. Wow. Yeah. So he, didn't, he never married again. He must again. have really loved her. He really loved That's, her. I don't, 
there's that's like some I mean there's two trains of thought that some people are like yeah she would probably want me to find love again but at the same yeah. time think they wouldn't want to betray yeah interesting madness mate and the, you see it in him how much he loved her you've seen it in him it was incredibly lonely though yeah he died of a heart attack in the end but was it a broken heart you know what I mean because as soon as she was gone I think he tried to sort of without sort of saying it outright I think he was drinking himself to death really really without realising what he was doing because he's he's just heartbroken but I tell you what he did a did a really good job. He brought me and Sean up really well. I mean, we might not have had the best upbringing. I mean, I was fucking here, there, and everywhere. But I've left school with nothing. But when anyone meets me, they always say, "Fucking, he's a nice, polite lad. Oh, he's a good." Lad. You know what I mean? No one ever questions like my the way I am, my personality. They're always like, oh, "He's a good chap. He's got good manners. He's kind-hearted." So the 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 things that are important were sewn into me at such a young age. I mean, I only had my mum for uh, eight years, but she really, you know, like eight years, she put a lot into me. Mm. This, uh, people underplay how important... I such a, People think, I think manners are such a bullshit thing. I think a lot of people do these days. It's like, mm. it's an archaic thing, but they make, it's such a... I don't know. It's, it's kind of like what first impressions count in terms of what yeah. your assumption of someone is. And yeah. a recent example of this, and one of my daughters brought a friend around, and and he, he seemed pleasant enough for me talking. And you could tell by the way she was talking, like maybe not from an affluent family. Yeah, you know, and that was about the only judgment I made at that point. You, you just think you, yeah, you, yeah. you make assumptions about people based on because you pick up, and but and yeah. So we were having dinner and. She one of the things she did, which is I find really rare at the moment around because I because I've got young kids like you got young kids yeah and um, and so you see how other people's children are and one other thing long story short at the end of dinner she came around she got her took her plate out she came out and got my plate for me and took it out for me as well now some people are thinking yeah, that's Billy basics you you clear other people's plates if you're going to do that now no. where. I when I am and my kids are. It's not really like that. I was, you don't really get kids do that. That to me, that was going above and beyond. I thought, fucking hell! It really, it surprised me. I thought, Jesus yeah. Christ! She didn't just take her plate out, which in itself is kind of a rarity sometimes with the yeah. friends of my, my kids bringing around. But she came and got mine. I was not. Even, I was still. No, I could have brought. Them to yeah, yeah. I thought that fucking hell, man. Yeah. You know, you, you, it's even and it goes back to the importance of manners. It's, it's like so, such a. Simple thing and such a big indication of the kind of parenting yeah, yeah, and that she has got. That person doesn't is. matter yeah. how impoverished they may or may not be, doesn't matter yeah. what environment they're from, there are certain principles that yeah. something like that indicate. Manners yeah. is just one example. You know, in Manners is doing something like that. You please and cues, you please and thank you. Yeah. Recognizing that someone else has done something to help you and yeah. acknowledging that. Yeah. That kind of stuff. For some reason, I feel it's getting forgotten. I don't understand yeah. why, especially in like the working class. Yeah, yeah. Which is my background. It's like you know. Yesterday I was in um, like the day before I was in a greasy spoon, and when I finished my cup of tea and my breakfast, I took it up to, to the, the counter, 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 put it on the thing. And they're like, "Oh, thanks, love. Cheers." And you can tell they get a lot of people that do that. 
But I bet they get a lot of people that just leave it on the table. Well, the old school will do it. Because, yeah. Because it's the nice thing to do. Yeah, it's a nice thing to do. It makes you feel good about yourself. I, you know, I, cheers I, for that, girls. Do you know what I think it's from? Do I think that kind of stuff is from? It's not... No, no, it's like, why is it... It's like, okay, it's a nice thing to do, but why is it a nice thing to do? And I think that's from back when... Well, similar to what at times we're probably going to enter into now, when things were really fucking hard and everyone was struggling. I'm talking wartime, wartime and onwards. Yeah. People are really struggling. Yeah. So you go and sit down, you can afford to pay for a greasy spoon and you know that the people working there, they may be on their ass. So yeah. make their job. Yeah, it's their fucking job to clean your stuff up after you, but why not make it a little bit easier? Go yeah. out your way. Just, just, just to ease their life yeah. you, on the assumption that they're, they're working, they're having a hard time. Not, that's not to assume that everyone is in the shit and worse off than you. Yeah, you yeah. just never know that. But you wouldn't such do it the little Savoy, things. But yeah, but a greasy spoon, I think it's common decency. Mm. Save just saves her the job, doesn't it? Of coming back out, she's already been yeah. out to you twice, brought you a cup of tea, and everyone else, oh, a bit more yeah. milk, love or whatever. Yeah, it's little things, isn't it? But you know, I was I was brought up right by my dad. He was he was a good parent, a good man, real good man, and. Um, yeah, he, he he did well to be fair to him because, you know, a lot of when I tell people my background, they're like, "You've done all right then. You should be fucking." You know what I mean? Like, in jail for ice cream, memory. Yeah, in jail. I went to. I was doing counselling for a bit, and the counsellors crying her eyes out. The counsellors. I thought it was normal. Jesus. I thought it was normal. When I told someone, they were like, "The counsellor was crying." I was like, "You fucking sorry." She's in fucking tears. She's in floods. She's like, you shouldn't be alive. And I was like, what? She's like, you shouldn't even be alive. I was like, fine. So actually, when you asked the you question... Tell, what did you told her to, for, to, that, to prompt that response? just told her my upbringing, what I've been through, what I've done, you know what I mean, in my past. I've got quite a colourful past. I mean, I've done things I'm not proud of. I've done things that I am proud of. But, you know, I'm, you know I have to, you know... Smoked a lot of weed, you know, which isn't a good thing. That's one of my gripes of my life that I smoked weed at such an early age. How do you think it impacted you? Massively. It's really? a very addictive drug, I think. Really? Not physically, but psychologically. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Big time. It's trying to get out of that routine. I've got a lot of mates that stopped smoking it and I've lost them over it. They're not friends with me anymore. You know what I mean? So I think I need to. It needs to be a cut-off point for me. I need to stop at some point. I still smoke it to this day, every day. Do you think that that reliance is because you started from such a young age on it? Maybe, yeah, yeah, I think so. But because it's not addictive chemically, is it? No, no, apparently not. But I suppose it's yeah, puts you in a different mind state. And, you and obviously state nicotine mind. as well, isn't it? You're doing it with nicotine. Oh, well, that's a different beast. Yeah, that is a different beast. Yeah, entirely. So I've always been addic addicted to uh, oh, okay. nicotine. Plot so it kind of goes with it. I don't like the taste of cigarettes. I don't like being stoned though. I hate being stoned. So I smoke so much weed that if I say if I'd have had a joint today, you wouldn't be able to know. You wouldn't be able to tell. I've had a joint obviously you wouldn't do it in the UK because it's illegal of you course you to do it every day yeah, yeah. 100 Amsterdam um, but you wouldn't be able to tell you know what I mean where say if someone else smoked you'd blim it now they'd be off their head because I've smoked I've smoked so much they'll build up that tolerance to it 
So it just doesn't, it hardly affects me. Have you ever taken a break? Have you ever taken a break from it? Yeah, sometimes when I go on holiday. Well, I've, got, well, I've been on holiday a few times and been like, right, no, I'm not going to do it because I'm in Egypt. I don't want to get my hands chopped and you, off. Does your resilience drop off pretty quick? I don't even think about it. No, I mean, but when you come back and you smoke it again. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, I come I've back. Heard, I've heard, I've the heard. The night I come back, I'm ill. resilience drops off pretty quick, yeah. I'm ill. And then I have to smoke and smoke and smoke until I'm ill, pretty much. And then Are you ill the first time you smoke it when you come back? Well, what happens is I'll come back and be like, oh, that's lovely, that. And then I want another one because it's so tasty. But I don't realise how nicotine. stoned I am. And then another one. And then another one. And then it gets to about two in the morning. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, so I'm trying to catch up on the mm. week that I'm, you know what I mean? I'm an idiot. Mm. I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? I know what I'm doing. So that's happened a few times where I've got. And then the next day, I'll wake up. Smoke, oh, I'm fine. Thank God. I don't feel stoned. I hate feeling stoned. Which is crazy, isn't it? Because that's that the reason crazy. you start smoking isn't that it. It's to get that, that feeling. Yeah. But no, I hate I hate feeling stone. But if you can break from it on holiday, why can't you break from it back here? I need I need to. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. Next ho- I've already well, said the next you? holiday that I have, that's the break. I need a break from just my routine, if you like. That's what it is, it's routine. I don't think it's breaking actually. So I have reduced actually. I've reduced what I smoke recently. But um there was a point when I was uh, during lockdown. Really bad. Oh, it fucked a lot of people up, mm. didn't it? It did. I think with lockdown, people either went, I, like, I'm basing this on absolutely no evidence whatsoever other than my own. I think that on lockdown, like, people either went, people who were susceptible to swinging one way to, to a, wait, basically to habit, either went bad habit for a long time, for that two year period, yeah. year and a half, two year period, or good habit. Like for that year and a half, yeah. two year period. Yeah, like some people, some people were able to just stay in the middle, but I was they either went good habit or bad habit, but they went the extreme yep. of each. Messed a lot of people up. Yeah, messed a lot of people up. And I, uh, and I, something that's I've noticed with the job I do, um, is a lot of cocaine at the moment. A lot of cocaine. Really? Yeah, it's rife. Everywhere. Is it really? Yeah. In society. Uh, back in the day, it would be like someone might pull a bag out at uh, like a night. You got a night out. Ooh, cheeky. Now, I go into shared accommodation where people are getting like sixty pound a week to live on, and they're snorting cocaine, and they're smoking weed, and it, it's going hand in hand, and it never used to. I've never understood how people can afford it, mate. Unless you're a fucking millionaire. It's very, very cheap now. No way. It's not, is it? Yeah. It's really cheap now. Is it? It's not incredibly cheap. Like, it's still expensive. You don't get much for your money. But in terms of what it was before, Mm. and it's also really bad now. Like, I don't know what it is. Cut with loads of shit. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Mm. But you you think there's more of it because of the, you know, the work you do that you're mixing more with? That yeah, part yeah. of the site is more susceptible to it. Yeah, I think so. But at the same time, even in my life, prior to that, prior to starting this job in my life, I was getting that sort of notion. You know what I mean? It was about more. I could see it more regularly. Mm. In, in people that wouldn't expect it as well sometimes. And then when I started this job, I was like, wow, okay. It's really rife. And as I say, and it's really bad as well. It's like really poor quality cocaine. It's not like Colombian cocaine. 
I think if these people that were on this coke had some Colombian cocaine, they'd probably have a blooming heart attack. Because mm. I don't know what it is they're putting up the nose. Mm. I've been party to it, you know what I mean? That's why I know it's bad. But uh, that's something that I think needs looking at addressing. Because I think it's getting worse and worse in this country. Mm, um, what's mate? What's next for the band? You just released the you just released the um, uh, you, singles, hopes and sins. Mm. Like yeah. hashtag like hashtag yeah. like a lot. I think it well done. What do you reckon to the recording? It's, the recording's all right. I thought it was fine. Yeah. Okay. I good. mean, you're asking the wrong person. I'm deaf, mate. Ah. So like, everything sounds great to me. Yeah. I yeah. can't pick up if there's anything. Like, I mean, when I was setting up when I set up the studio. Um, the audio and that, and I and I recorded the first couple. Of, no, actually, first first podcast I recorded in you, and I went home and played it. The missus, and, she, and she, I said, "This sounds alright, doesn't it?" She's like, "What's that beeping?" I said, what fucking? I've got permanent tinnitus. Said, what fucking beeping? She's a beeping, permanent beeping. Like, you are kidding me! And I couldn't hear it. This whole podcast had done with someone an hour, hour and a half <laughs> beeping in the background. I was like, what the fuck? So I went back in, changed it for the next podcast, recorded it again, played it. She's like. What's the humming sound? It's like a in the back. Of the, I fuck. I can't because I can't adjust for the minute thing, the really low, yeah. really high frequency stuff. Volume is irrelevant. Really high frequency stuff, yeah. or really low volume. I yeah. can't hear. So I ended up having to get in um, this, the engineer and the owner of the studio, uh, a music studio, Gospel Oak Studios. You must know Gospel Oak Studios. I don't know. No, no. Up in uh, Rowington. No, no, not Rowington. I just made that word up. Robinson, up towards, uh, up beyond, oh, no one knows what the fuck we're talking about, but up beyond uh, the, the uh, Hatton, up beyond Hatton. Okay. Right. Anyway, and I got, I said to him, mate, I'm struggling, you came and help, he came in, he just, he got on the mix, and he's like, we should be, should have that knob turned up, should have that knob turned up, turn it all to zero, you don't need all that shit, and then it was fine. Anyway, yeah, so it sounded fine to me, it sounded really good to me, mate. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. Right, yeah. Why so are you I concerned think... about the audio quality? No, just, because um, we've been recording in like, we recorded with Matt, a few with Matt, and we recorded a few somewhere else, and it's like, I want to get, I want to, really, I want to record all these songs for the next app in the same place, it's got to be, could we record it here? Yeah, you could record it here. I don't know if this will work. It's fucking small. Yeah. You could record it here. But I was going to suggest Gospel Oak. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. But you can, you're can. you more than welcome to record here, mate. Yeah, and I think we'd... we'd I don't know if it'd be possible to... See, I'm not, I'm not great when it comes to the technical aspect. Well, you've got to think in this space, you'd have to get the drums in. It's four, <coughs> it's four you'd have to do it four. all singly and stuff. It'd be, yeah, it'd be a nightmare. I mean, I'd move the table out, but... You'd have to move the table. You could definitely, the aircon does work. The aircon does work. But you could make more than use this. However, I'll give you a Baz's card. Yeah, he yeah, is do. a top dude. And he's got, so at Gospel Oak, he's got two two big spaces for recording. And he's got a vocal, I would call it a vocal booth for just for the sing. Mate, he's a ninja up there, mate. Yeah, okay, yeah, mate, yeah. give us his number. Yeah, yeah, his card. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Gospel I love Oak. looking to that because, yeah, the other one was Woodbine. We were looking at. Oh, and that's in Leamington, isn't it? Yeah, in Leamington. Yeah, I went. Oh, Couldn't uh, seen did yeah. some recording. Oh, then, did they? they? Yeah, have you heard of an album? Uh, a sides, B sides, C sides, and f- free rides. Ocean Colour Scene. Ocean Colour Scene. I'm not a fan. I'm not a, it's, a of Okay, it's like um, it was like a, a B side album where it's all the B sides. They recorded and stuff. it in Lem. They recorded like three or four songs off that album. In Leamington at Woodbine, yeah. Mm. But I always like recording with Matt. I think Matt's brilliant. 
What, who's Matt? 14 Records. Oh, right. Yeah. So where are they based? Uh, Leamington. A bottom of town, behind Kelsey's. So Matt produced our first album. Um, so why can't you record so there every time? We can, really. It's just getting around to doing it. It's just getting around to doing it. And Matt's wife passed away oh, about shit. a week after my dad passed away oh, last shit. year. So, uh, But before that, we've been struggling to sit down and get something done. We just need to sit down and get something done. His son at the moment is in the band. He's playing keys in the band. Um, oh, so where I was talking about Baz from Gospel Oak, Matt is like this at a minute, listening to this going, <laughs> no, what are you talking about? No, but no. Listen, I don't think, Matt, I don't <laughs> Sorry, think Matt, Matt would be offended if I went and recorded at Woodbine or I went and recorded, because yeah, 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 I do yeah. want to experiment. I want, you know, I want to, I want to see what it's going to sound like somewhere else, you know. But um, I think we will record it with Matt. But I was talking to Travis's son and I was thinking it would be nice if your dad produced our first album. And you produced our second album because mm. um, Travis is very good when it comes to oh his, really yeah with his sounds and that he's brilliant and he plays keyboard he he's just done the sound for um, it's like shy effects or something like that, rudimental someone really big oh cool so uh, he knows what he's doing brought up well he's brought up around music studio so you know he's, he knows his stuff. Mate, it's 7.30 and you've got a hard start. Yes. 7.30 already. Um, uh, right. I'll put a link to the Spotify Welcome to the World album yeah. on Thank this, you. And, the sound, and SoundCloud. Yeah. I'll put a link to the latest single. Send me a link to this as well. So I'll I can, send a link to this, yeah. I'll share it all and, about. Uh, people can, I was like, send you, mate. Like, good fucking music. Yeah, and thank you. you. You your latest single out. You've got more songs to release when you get recorded. More songs coming. Get them out. I know, yeah. Tell the boys. Let's get will. together. Get it fucking this done. Hugh wants the songs. This Kate wants the songs. I'll Come on. I'll get them out. I'll get them out. I'll get them out. Jesus Christ, man. I know. The people want the music. The thing is, it's like the situation I spoke about earlier with the record studio oh, of yeah. all that. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that took a, a toll. I think if that had been more smooth, I think we'd have been on the second album. We'd have been, you know what I mean? But that kind of... Well, get the second is. album recorded. That gives you motivation to sort that admin shit out. Yeah, it does, actually. Get the fucking music yeah. done and go, we're going to square this away. Yeah, we need to. We need to. I think we've got about 12 songs. When's your next gig? Oh, our next gig. We just had one in rugby, the Amplified. Yeah. Where's our next one? Not too sure, you know. I think it's at the O2. Have a quick look. I'll have a quick look, yeah. What, in Birmingham? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, you would think, people, that you would have come, that Dan would have come pre-armed with this information. You'd have Obvious, thought so. Obviously not. If Nez listens to this, he'd be, oh, oh. be livid. Oh. Let's have a look. Oh, See you're on your own website, have a look. Yeah. <laughs> on my own website, have a look. <laughs> Dates. Okay. I don't think the dates on that are great. Latest news. Not on there. Right. Yeah. You need to find out, and I will add it to the foot. Uh, yeah, I'll find out podcast. for you, mate. And then we'll add it retrospectively. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Let me see. I think there's a little menu at the top. There's a little menu in the corner. Oh, Jesus. So I'm not very technical. Here we go. Gallery media contact gigs. There's a gig section. Very impressive, have, actually. Who this, would have thought? This website. I think it's having trouble loading it. It's, it's kind of... 
Alright, we'll have to add it later. We'll, have to we'll, add, it we'll add it later, but. We'll have to add it after. Yeah. Anyway, it has been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure, mate. Glad we got Indeed. it sorted. Yes. Yeah, Thanks for having me, Hugh. Looking forward to next gig, next yeah. next songs, and. Um, yeah. How'd you better do? Yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah, make sure you get there. <laughs> Stop smoking. I know, I will. <laughs>enjoyed this episode why not become a h-hour patron h-hour patrons get exclusive access to 
premium content. There are private interviews with previous guests and with this guest that nobody will see except for the HR patrons. So before this podcast was recorded, I recorded an exclusive Q&A, a shorter interview structured around eight questions. All the questions were chosen by patrons beforehand, and that interview is online now for patrons. That happens every time. Patrons also get access to all of the episodes before anyone else. They get advanced viewing of the episodes. And you also get other perks and bonuses. All of the information is on charliecharlie1.com. Just hit the menu item, become a patron. It'll show you everything there, including access to the HR Discord community and private patron-only channels on there. So go to charliecharlie1.com and hit the menu item, become a patron. Easy peasy. Thank you for being a supporter. Subscribe to the channel, and I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you.